So Obergefell. Uh, this is the same-sex marriage case that people were waiting for for years. Uh, we thought a few years ago when the court took the Windsor versus New York case that perhaps it would also take a case that directly implicated state bans on same-sex marriage, but it didn't. It just took the, the federal case. And so a couple of years later, we see the court finally ready to address this issue. Uh, the case it chose was a consolidation of uh, several cases from several states, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Uh, there were 14 couples and two men whose partners had died who had brought suit in those states. In every district court case, the plaintiffs won. And then the Sixth Circuit consolidated the cases and reversed. Uh, and that gave the Supreme Court the circuit split that it needed uh, to con consider these cases. Obergefell himself, the man whose name uh, appears as the lead plaintiff, um, was actually asking not for the right to marry, but the right to have his marriage recognized. So he had uh, flown with his very ill partner of 20 years um, in a medically equipped plane from Ohio to BWI Airport in Maryland and married on the tarmac and then returned to Ohio and his husband, now husband, died three months later and he was not listed as the spouse on the death certificate. So his suit was, Ohio needs to recognize my Maryland marriage for purposes of this death certificate. Although many of the other plaintiffs who also had very uh, sympathetic stories were seeking the right to marry in their home states. Activists were actually quite concerned about the fact that the Supreme Court took both of these questions up on certiorari, both the issue of, is there a constitutional right to same-sex marriage overall, and then, is there a right to have your marriage recognized if it's not recognized in the, the state in which you live? Because they were concerned that the court could decide just to say yes to that second question and leave the issue of same-sex marriage for another day. But the court didn't do that. Um, it ruled on both um, issues and found that there is a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. So uh, majority opinion, Justice Kennedy, as Professor Howard was, was talking about earlier, um, this was no surprise to anyone that if, if uh, there was a majority opinion that, that held that there was a constitutional right to same-sex marriage, that Kennedy would be the author um, as the, the senior member of that likely five-person majority. Um, and he has been the author of every LGBT rights case that the Supreme Court has decided over the last 20 years, uh, Romer versus Evans, Lawrence versus Texas, the Windsor case from a couple of years ago, and now finally Obergefell. Um, it was also, I don't think, any surprise that Kennedy's analysis would be quintessentially Kennedy um, and not necessarily line up with what you might expect a constitutional analysis to look like if you are reading your constitutional law casebook. But none of the other opinions in Romer, in Lawrence, in Windsor um, looked like those typical uh, strict scrutiny, you know, levels of scrutiny kinds of cases that, that we've seen. So how did Kennedy get there? Um, he, he held that there were two... Uh, bases for this uh, constitutional right to marry, and one is under the Due Process Clause, and the other is under the Equal Protection Clause. Um, the Due Process issue had really other, already been decided um, by previous cases in the sense that the court had held multiple times that there's a fundamental right to marry. So in the 1960s in Loving versus Virginia, it had held that there was a fundamental right to marry in the context of an interracial marriage. And then in the 1970s, in Zablocki versus Redhale, it had held that there was a fundamental right to marry in the context of a state law that denied men who were in arrears on their child support from marrying. Right? 
And then in the 1980s, um, uh, it, it again held a fundamental right to marry in the context of women prisoners who were denied the right to marry while in prison. So the question wasn't really, is there a fundamental right to marry? It's, does same-sex marriage count as marriage? Um, does this fundamental right to marry extend to same-sex marriage? So what Justice Kennedy does in his opinion is he tries to figure out what are the reasons why we would call marriage a fundamental right? What are the principles underlying it? And then do they apply to same-sex couples with equal force as they would to opposite-sex couples? And he comes up with four reasons for the fundamental right. Um, one is the right to personal choice regarding marriage is inherent in the concept of individual autonomy. So if you're thinking about the, the liberty aspect of due process, um, liberty might include autonomy, and the right to enter into this kind of relationship is, is the kind of autonomy that adults are entitled to have. And he says same-sex couples would have that same right, just, just as heterosexual couples would have. Second, the right to marry supports a two-person union unlike any other in its important importance to the committed individuals. So here he just seems to be saying that marriage is really important. It's more important than friendship. Uh, maybe it's more important than other relationships that your work relationships with someone. This is a very special kind of relationship that's important to people. Third, the right to marry safeguards children and families. So here he's making an argument not why, why the couple should want the right to marry, but why their children would have an interest in their parents being married and the kind of stability that that would give financial security that would give the children. And then final, finally, one I thought was curious, marriage is a keystone of our social order. So that fourth one seemed less to me about why a person would want to marry and more about why the government would want people to marry, right? If it's a key keystone of the social order, and, and he talks about how there are a lot of benefits that the government gives are bundled into marriage, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't entirely convinced that it was the reason you would make marriage a fundamental right. It might be the reason you would, you would ask, why is the government interested in regulating this? But, but he ties it into the reasons why uh, marriage is a fundamental right. So uh, the opinion finds that same-sex marriage is required uh, based on due process, but then also based on equal protection. And then here we, again, have a slightly unusual equal protection analysis. So those of you who have taken constitutional law are probably used to equal protection. Um, being about protected classes of people, right? So you could imagine an opinion that would say um, sexual orientation is a suspect or protected class, and therefore if you see a law that discriminates against people based on sexual orientation, it gets a higher scrutiny. They don't do that in this opinion. Um, you could also imagine them making the same argument with just sex, with saying uh, if you deny a woman the right to marry someone else simply because she's a woman and the other person's a woman, it's sex discrimination, and the opinion doesn't do that. Um, instead, it ties the equal protection argument back to the due process argument and thinks of them together. So Justice Kennedy's opinion says, the due process clause and the equal protection clause are connected in a profound way. In any particular case, one clause may be thought to capture the essence of the right in a more accurate and comprehensive way, even as the two clauses converge in the identification and definition of the right. So he kind of blends them together. and. Um, it, when I first read this, I thought he was returning to the fundamental rights strand of equal protection analysis, which actually a lot of the earlier marriage cases were. Um, so thinking back to the child support case, the blocky, the court doesn't say it's a due process violation. It says it's an equal protection violation. You have people who owe child support and people who don't. And the people who owe child support don't get to marry, and the people who don't do. 
but there's no protected class there. We don't usually worry about discrimination against people who owe child support. It's just that marriage is so important. Uh, we're going to hold this to a higher level of scrutiny even though there's no protected class. Um, but I don't think he's even doing that. I think he's making a deeper point about the history of discrimination against gay and lesbian people here. So at one point he says, especially against a long history of disapproval of their relationships, this denial to same-sex couples of the right to marry works a grave and continuing harm. So it's almost as if he's saying that because same-sex couples have been discriminated against for so long, in part by their exclusion from marriage, we should be especially worried that they are excluded from marriage. That kind of uh, discrimination is worse than excluding them from other sorts of institutions because it's been constituted of the way um, their identity has been constructed. Uh, so a couple other interesting features of this opinion, and then I'll say a word about the dissents. First of all, dignity gets used nine times in the opinion. Um, Kennedy is well known for his use of the word dignity. Uh, there, were, uh, a, there was a lot of chatter on the internet about um, you, how you could play a drinking game during oral argument, and every time Kennedy said dignity and you could drink and you would end up very drunk. Um, and that was probably true if you tried it. Um, only nine times in the opinion, though. Um, and I'll loop back to that when I get to Justice Thomas's dissent, because he kind of takes on the, the, the use of the word dignity. Um, but the second observation I had is that he really focuses on the social and emotional aspects of marriage, in the opinion, in a way that I was surprised by. So a couple of years ago, in the Windsor opinion on the Defense of Marriage Act, there was much more of a focus on what are the benefits the state gives you for marrying? And is it fair to discriminate against people and not give them those benefits? So in this case with Obergefell, for example, he could have said, you know, if you don't get your name on your spouse's death certificate, you might not be able to get Social Security survivor's benefits. Or you might not be able uh, to have an exemption from the estate tax. Like that, that having your name there is really important because it has serious financial consequences. Um, but he doesn't say that. Instead, he says things like, Marriage responds to the universal fear that a lonely person might call out only to find no one there. It's not about benefits, right? It's about this deep emotional connection that people have to each other. Um, or the nature of marriage is that through its enduring bond, two persons together can find other freedoms such as expression, intimacy, and spirituality. So uh, the, the entire opinion until like one paragraph where he lists all the benefits um, is really about the emotional bond between people and the social um, recognition of that bond and the dignity that he thinks that that confers upon people and less about the benefits the government offers. So I've frequently asked a question on my family law exams, always changed a little bit of course, so it's not the same question year after year. Can the state abolish marriage? Would it be constitutional? And I've often thought the answer is probably yes, right? If the, the, the problem to me was not that there, that there is a right to marry, but that there, if the state is going to have something it calls civil marriage, and it gives people the opportunity to do this, and it gives them access to things like divorce court, and division of property at divorce, and inheritance, and other benefits like social security, it has to be even-handed about it, but it could just decide not to do it tomorrow. I'm not sure that's right anymore after this opinion. Like, this opinion is not really about the benefits that the state gives through marriage. It's about something deeper and something potentially pre-constitutional um, about a kind of human relationship that, that Justice Kennedy at least seems to believe that people are in, entitled to um, have recognized by the state. 
Okay, some quick words on the dissents. Um, as Professor Howard noted, all four of the dissenting justices wrote their own dissents. Um, Scalia and Thomas joined each other's dissents and Roberts and Alito's. They just dissented all over the place. Um, Roberts is the most, has the, Justice Roberts has the most comprehensive and well-reasoned dissent out of all of them, I think. Um, well, I guess they're, I mean, they're all well-reasoned in their own way, but his is the one that really tries to take on the majority in a, in a serious way. Um, his arguments, just as Kennedy's were predictable, are pretty predictable as well. We're not a legislature. We're a court. We shouldn't be doing this. This is up to the states to do. Um, and same-sex marriage is not deeply rooted in history and tradition. Um, it's new. Um, it, I found it curious and interesting that, that Justice Kennedy kind of ignored the history part, right? It's like, yes, this is a new kind of, of marriage, but we've changed marriage a lot. We've gotten rid of um, coverture where uh, women lose their legal rights at marriage. We now allow interracial marriage, and so the history doesn't really matter. Then we have Justice Roberts coming in and saying, for millennia, this is the way it's been. It's been one man and one woman, and, and now suddenly in the last 30 years we've changed it. Um, I wasn't entirely convinced by his history. Uh, he lists several cultures in which it's always been one man and one woman, and I looked at the list and thought, no, actually it's one man and many women. <laughs> In a, in a lot of these cultures, and so, you know, if we're really going to be originalist about this, we should just have polygamy. That's, you know, so, so um, I think going too deep into history can get you in trouble sometimes here. Um, but he uh, um, really hinged his argument on the idea that the plaintiffs are trying to change the definition of marriage, and that's the legislature's job. Um, Scalia essentially wrote the same dissent, but really angrily. Um, so it's the same arguments, but it includes... Uh, um, yeah, many um, comments that he, that he says in the opinion um, or implies in the opinion might be inappropriate in a majority opinion but are okay in a dissent. Um, so he, while he is simultaneously taking on the rhetoric of the majority opinion and saying it's not legal and it's inappropriate, he says, well, but that might be okay in a dissent, and then he proves to you what he thinks is okay in a, in a dissent. Um, and the majority opinion is a threat to our democracy is kind of the theme the theme there, and it really kind of reads like a call to arms. You know, like, like, like these justices did not have the authority to do this. Hint, hint, don't, don't respect this opinion, right? Um, Thomas's opinion I thought was really interesting. It, like many Thomas's opinions, um, is based partly on the idea that you should stick to the text of the Constitution, and there is no right to marriage in the Constitution anywhere, so you get the sense that he would overturn all of the right to marry cases and just say, just not there. This is something that the states do. Um, but then he also takes on this use of the word dignity. And he says, the government can't bestow dignity. It's something you have. And I was thinking of the Whitney Houston greatest love of all song, no matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity, when I was reading his, his opinion. And he says, slaves did not lose their dignity because the government allowed them to be enslaved. Those held in internment, internment camps did not lose their dignity because the government confined them. And I was thinking here, he and Justice Kennedy are just talking across each other completely. Justice Kennedy is drawing on an international human rights norm of dignity, right? And, it, and it, not just international human rights, but what many other countries are doing in their constitutional ju jurisprudence now, where you're talking about things that the government should not be able to do to someone because they have a right to dignity, um, because they're human, right? And Justice Thomas is talking about an internal emotional state that someone might have. Um, and so they're, they're just not talking about the same thing. 
Um, and then finally, uh, Justice Alito also dissents, and he brings up the procreation argument that the other justices seemed less willing to focus on. So he says, the purpose of marriage is to foster procreation and a, and a good space for child rearing, and same-sex couples don't have children together, so they don't need it. That's essentially the argument that he makes. Um, so a few thoughts going forward here. Um, first of all, I think this doesn't, is it's going to surprise you because it's already happening, but the action now in the response to this, a lot of the action is going to be in religious exemptions. So the big question is going to be, okay, now that we have this nationwide right to same-sex marriage, um, under what circumstances can someone claim that it's against their religious beliefs and, and how tied to the state do they have to be uh, for that not to be okay? Um, but then I think the second question is, where does this leave the LGBT rights movement um, now that the marriage issue has been taken care of, right? And I think here the analysis may end up mattering. So the fact that this is such a pro-marriage opinion and so focused on how marriage is this you know, tool of the social order and civilizing force and not uh, uh, gay and lesbians get heightened scrutiny because sexual orientation is the suspect class kind of opinion, it really leaves us uh, knowing very little about how to apply this to say a housing discrimination case or an employment discrimination case, um, which aren't about marriage. Um, and so you can really think of this, even though it's the liberal justices with Kennedy, as a deeply conservative opinion. It's reifying marriage as the most important institution more important than anything, any other kind of relationship, and giving benefits to people who are willing to be a part of that institution, um, but not necessarily giving rights to people outside of that institution. Thanks.